We'll make some starting lineup projections, discuss the latest on Anton Watson and Malachi Smith, as well as the likelihood that the Zags land Grant Nelson in the transfer portal, all on today's Mailbag Monday episode of Locked On Zags. Let's get after it. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to give you news and updates on all things Zag athletics. Happy Mailbag Monday. We are bringing this back. It is the first Mailbag Monday in a while. We're going to have more of them throughout the summer. I don't think we're going to do it every single week. I don't want the content to get too stale, but it is something we are hoping to bring back. I enjoy hearing all of your questions and getting an opportunity to talk through them. So this is mostly a reminder for new listeners. If you want to get involved in Mailbag Monday, you can reach out to me on Twitter at Andy Patton CBB. I normally post a tweet on Sunday morning soliciting questions if we are doing Mailbag Monday. Easiest way to get involved in the show is to see that tweet and respond to it. That will ensure your question gets answered that week. If you want to email me, you can andypatton 13 at gmail.com. That is how a handful of the questions here today got into the show. Again, I'm not doing it every single week, so it may be a while till your question gets answered. I try to respond personally to those as well. So that is another way to get involved on Mailbag Monday. Let's get straight into it. We got a lot of fantastic questions to go over today. This first one comes from the old Heffalump at Heffalump Old on Twitter, who says, any updates on Anton or Malachi? Folks, I promise you, I promise you that if I had an update on either Anton Watson or Malachi Smith regarding their decision to come back to school or stay in the NBA draft process, excuse me, I would share that with you. I do not have an update on those guys. They have until May 31st. So as many of you are listening to this, they have less than 10 days to make that decision. The expectation up to this point has primarily been that Anton Watson will return and that Malachi Smith is less likely to return than Anton Watson. I guess that's the best way to put it. I feel like Malachi is kind of in that 50-50 spot. Some people are saying he's likely to come back, some not so much there. Watson... He got invited to the G League Combine, performed well there, did not get an extended invite to the NBA Draft Combine. I think it makes sense for him to return for Malachi. I'm not sure there's an NBA future there regardless, so it might make sense for him to just go pursue those professional opportunities right away. But again, totally possible for both these guys to return as well. So we will keep you updated as soon as we hear more on that. That is a guarantee from yours truly. Next question comes from at user DadRisk on Twitter, who says, if Anton's three ball stays about the same, what are the odds the Greg EK lineup turns out to be more effective than the Anton EK lineup, assuming Anton returns? Here's the thing about Anton Watson's three-point shot staying the same. It just, it's just not likely. It's just not likely. He shot 11% as a freshman in a very small sample size. He shot 15% as a sophomore in a small sample size. He shot 22.7% as a junior in a slightly bigger sample size. And then he shot 33% last year. That is a massive increase. He has tripled his three-point percentage in three years. Again, sample sizes make this kind of wonky, and it's worth acknowledging that. But he has improved tremendously, significantly, as an outside shooter. So expecting him to go f- to go from 11 all the way to 33 in four years and then just completely stagnate next year, I just don't buy it. I don't buy it. All of the feedback Anton Watson is getting includes him improving as a three-point shooter. All of it. 
I guarantee you that. And I just don't see a situation where Watson comes back to college and is worse or not as good as a three-point shooter. Having said that, having said that, if Anton Watson shoots exactly 33% next year and Ben Gregg shoots exactly 37.7% last year like he did, then I still think an Anton EK lineup would be better because of the defense. I think Watson continues. There's so much push and movement to assume that another lineup would be better without Anton Watson. And I just, I don't think people, even now as he potentially enters his fifth year at Gonzaga, understand the impact he has on this team defensively. And maybe there's more optimism about Ben Gregg stepping into a bigger role defensively. And I'm not trying to trash Ben Gregg and saying that, oh, a lineup with Watson would be much better because of Watson's defense. I don't mean that to be a slight on Ben Gregg. I mean that to be a tremendous compliment to Anton Watson, who I think is one of the most underrated defensive players in the country. Graham E.K. is not a good defensive player. He hasn't been throughout his career. There's not really any reason to assume that he's going to suddenly materialize as a good defensive post player or rim protector at Gonzaga this upcoming season. It's not going to be the case, most likely. So having a lineup with Greg and EK, Greg is a fine defensive player, but you don't have any really elite defensive players in that lineup. Whereas you add Anton Watson, maybe a slightly worse three-point shooter than Ben Gregg. Again, I think he's going to continue to show improvement in that area. And even if he doesn't, the minuscule difference between the two of them as three-point shooters and floor spacers is more than made up by the fact that Watson is a better defensive player, both on the perimeter and in the paint. Next question here comes from at Twitter user GaslampVictim, who, who says, of the new incoming players on the roster, who do you think will have the greatest impact besides Nembhard? Because that is too easy. Yeah, the answer is obviously Ryan Nembhard, but if we are skipping him, I am going to stick with who I just talked about in that last segment, which is Graham E.K. E.K., I mean, this is a guy who averaged 19 and 9. 19 and a half and nine and a half, to be more specific, in his last season at Wyoming. That was the 2021-22 season. He missed all of last year with a foot injury. All of the reports that we are hearing right now are that he is fully healthy, that he is going to be a full participant in summer workouts, and there's not really any reason to believe that the injury is going to linger into next season. Is he going to average 19 and nine going from Wyoming to Gonzaga? Probably not. But if we're comparing him as an impactful player next season... To the other newcomers, which would be Steel Venters, which would be Dusty Stromer, which would be Alex Tui. I think EK is going to be more impactful than all of those guys. Venters is the only other one who I expect to start, and he's the only other one I expect to start. I think Stromer is going to play a big role next year. It depends on whether Malachi Smith comes back or not. That's part of the, the question here. And, and for that matter, EK's role depends a lot on whether Anton Watson is going to come back or not as well. So we can't fully answer this question, but my expectation is that EK is the second most impactful newcomer on this roster behind Ryan Nemhard. I'm not, I wasn't counting Yo, the South Korean, because he joined the team at during the season last year, although he did not play. If you wanted to count him, I do think he's part of this conversation as well. I still expect him to be behind Nembhard and Ike, but I think there's some optimism that he could be a guy who contributes a significant amount in his first season playing for the Zags as well. This next question here comes from at M on Twitter, who says, Few remarked several times that the Zags struggled with communication last year. Does Nembhard step into the vocal leader role for this team next season? I'm not really getting the impression that vocal leadership is Ryan Nemhard's strength. It was not his older brother, Andrew Nemhard's strength. 
uh, which doesn't necessarily mean it's not something that Ryan does, but it didn't appear to be something that it didn't really look like a role that he carried all that much at Creighton. I watched a lot of Creighton basketball games last year. I watched some more tape of him this since he committed to Gonzaga and kind of watched more specifically with him. And I just don't think that's necessarily a part of his game in terms of who's going to be the vocal leader next year. That's a great question. And one that I think is, is not clear at this point. I don't think vocal leadership is necessarily Nolan Hickman's forte. Anton Watson is a bit more of a quiet guy from what we have seen of him. Could it be Ben Gregg? If he's not starting, does that change that? Could it be Graham E.K.? I don't know exactly what, what his role would look like there. So I do think that that's a, that's a question that does need to be answered. And, and again, Mark, you can't just point at somebody and said, you, you're the vocal leader. This has to happen organically. It has to kind of come out of somewhere. And I hope that Mark is not having these same questions about this team in the middle of the season next year of like, who's going to be our communicator? Who's going to be our vocal leader? Because it is something that I, I hope they can try to figure out before the season starts. What if the Zags have a shot at North Dakota State transfer Grant Nelson? And what can we expect from June Sakyo? All of that coming up after a word from today's sponsor, Built Bar. Looking for a delicious snack, but you don't want all the sugar and calories? Then you need the best tasting protein bar ever built. Built Bars are healthy and they taste amazing. Seriously, they taste so good, you will not think that they are healthy for you. What makes them so good? Well, for starters, they are covered in 100% real chocolate. That's right, real dark chocolate. And they come in unbelievable flavors like churro, peanut butter, brownie, and cookies and cream. I'm not sure how Built does it, but these bars taste like a candy bar while maintaining amazing macros. They only have 130 calories and 4 grams of sugar with a whopping 17 grams of protein. And now you don't need to wait around to get a box for years. We've been talking about ordering your Built Bars at Built.com, but now you can get them at your local Walmart or Sam's Club while you can still get specialty flavors at Built.com. So head to your nearest Walmart today, walk to the pharmacy section, and grab yourself a box of Built Bars. You can pick up a four-bar box of cookies and cream, double chocolate, or coconut puff. And if you're close to a Sam's Club, run in and grab a 13-bar box with our hit flavors, brownie batter puff, and churro puff. You can thank me later. Built Bar, a proud sponsor of the Locked On Podcast Network. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. All right, folks, I want to thank all of you for making Locked on Zags your first listen of the day. For you everyday listeners, we got a lot more coming your way this week. We got some transfer portal conversation. We got a more conversation about Malachi Smith and his upcoming decision. We also got a great interview in the books with a Big East expert talking a little bit more about Ryan Nemhard. We got more stuff coming your way. So check out the show. Find us on YouTube if you haven't done so yet. If you hit that subscribe button, it helps make sure you become one of those everyday listeners. Mailbag Monday rolls on here in the second segment. This next question here comes from at Real Kev McGuire on Twitter, who says, if we manage to snag Grant Nelson away from the draft and sign him, what could a possible rotation look like with Malachi returning? 
yeah, a Grant Nelson in the portal and Malachi returning would be a pretty great feather in the cap of the offseason for Gonzaga. I do assume that Nelson returning would likely only happen if Anton Watson was not returning. Like Grant Nelson's in the draft process right now. He's his whole goal, his whole intention is to get drafted, to be a guy who doesn't come back to college. If that's not going to happen and he does decide to continue to explore college options, that would happen after June 1st, most likely would be my guess here, because he would say, hey, I'm done with the draft process. I'm out. So at that point, we will know whether Anton Watson's returning or not. If Watson is coming back, I'm not sure. I think Gonzaga would still have interest in Grant Nelson, but I'm just not sure if he's going to come back into a situation where the playing time is, is, is as murky as it would be. And for the Zags having six foot nine Graham Ike in the rotation, six foot eight Anton Watson in the rotation, six foot eight Ben Gregg in the rotation, I'm not sure where six foot eight Grant Nelson is going to fit in. He could play the three, put Steel Venters on the bench. Maybe there's some opportunity there, but it gets a little bit messier in that situation. But if Anton Watson decides to stay in the draft process, go professional, and Grant Nelson decides to pull out of the draft process, two things that I want to be clear I think are, are fairly unlikely. But if it were to happen and Malachi Smith were to return, you'd have a very, very fun lineup for the Zags. You wouldn't have a very good defensive lineup, and I think that's more of the concern that we would run into. I think you'd start a lineup with Graham E.K. at the five, Grant Nelson at the four, Steel Venters at the three, Nolan Hickman at the two, and Ryan Nemhart at the one with Ben Gregg, Malachi Smith, Dusty Stromer, and Yo being your kind of the rest of that rotation, nine-man rotation right there. It's, it's a rough defensive team. It's a really good offensive team. The floor spacing is fantastic. Venters and Nelson can both shoot it at 40-plus percent clip. Hickman was 35% last year. Nemhard was 35% last year. EK could absolutely feast in the middle with four shooters surrounding him. But I think that that team would be limited defensively, and I'm not sure. It would be tough. It would be tough for that team to to succeed in the NCAA tournament when they play bigger, more physical teams, teams that uh, have a better ability to shut you down from the perimeter. But I think they would be a whole heck of a lot of fun uh, when they get cruising offensively. Next question here comes from at Goldbloom M on Twitter, who says, Steel Venter's story is pretty cool. Who are the greatest Zag walk-ons ever and anyone as good as Venter's? Yeah, Venter's hasn't played at Gonzaga yet, so it's hard to compare to them. I, I know this isn't what you meant, but just to clarify for listeners out there, Steel Venter's is not a walk-on at Gonzaga. He was a walk-on at Eastern Washington and emerged as a, a very, very good player for them. And of course, now has transferred to Gonzaga. In terms of the best walk-ons at Gonzaga, it's hard to find a lot of data on this going back all that far. So I'm kind of going with mostly memory and guys that I've seen in more recent years on this. If I'm missing anybody big, of course, please let me know. Uh, in terms of anyone as good as Venters, I'm not sure if any of the guy, those guys necessarily qualify here. But again, we haven't seen Venters play at Gonzaga yet, so we don't exactly know. Uh, David Stockton stands out as one of the most notable walk-ons in Gonzaga history. There's a, It's a bit... Uh, Question. I mean, he is a walk-on. There's no other way to call it. He is a walk-on. He was a preferred walk-on. Gonzaga added him knowing that they would be able to get him to join the team without having to burn a scholarship on him. He, of course, had a very successful career at Gonzaga. Mike Hart is one of the most revered, beloved walk-ons in Gonzaga basketball history, a guy who who wasn't even on the team during craziness in the kennel and then joined the team a week later. And by that was his freshman year. By his senior year, he was starting for a team that was ranked number one in the country. The first time Gonzaga was ever ranked number one, Mike Hart was the starting small forward. That's an incredibly cool and fun story. Jeremy Jones, I have a soft spot for Jeremy Jones, the preferred walk-on from Rice, transferred to the Zags. Uh, 
didn't have a scholarship for him, ended up playing a really big role for a couple of years with that team. Kyle Bankhead, a bit bit older guy, comes back. He was a walk-on in the early 2000s for this team, is now a, a very successful coach as the associate head coach at the University of San Francisco. So Zags will get to see him on the sidelines this year as well. Those are a few guys that stand out to me. I'm sure there are more that I have missed. Uh, Venters has a chance to be better than all of them, but again, he doesn't really qualify as a walk-on for Gonzaga as he was a priority recruit uh, or a priority addition via the transfer portal. But still, for him to walk on at Eastern Washington and have emerged into this kind of career is very, very, very impressive for him. Next question here, another one from Twitter user at DadRisk. He says, is there a chance we're underestimating how good Yo could be because of lack of available clips? And he just immediately becomes the third or fourth best player for the team. Any Elias Harris vibes here? Yeah, I think that we are, I don't want to say underestimating Yo, because I think there are some people who think he's going to come in and be the second or first best player on the team. And there are some people who don't think he's going to play at all next year. We just don't know. Are some people underestimating him? Sure. Are some people overestimating him? Probably. And what we get is how we're going to kind of determine that. At this point, we don't know if he's being over or underestimated. It's it's impossible to know that for sure, which is why if the question is, is there a chance we're underestimating him? Yeah, of course. Of course there is. Could he be the third or fourth best player on this team? I think so. I think it's possible when I'm projecting lineups for myself right now, I don't necessarily project him into a role that would give him that luxury, but could he play well enough to earn the starting three spot and push Venters to the bench or push Venters to the two guard role and push Hickman to the bench? Yes, possibly. Could he start in a small ball four role? Even if, I mean, it likely only if Anton Watson doesn't return, could that be the case? Yeah, I think it's possible there as well. In terms of Elias Harris vibes, you kind of already answered it by saying we don't have a lot of tape on him, and I would agree. I've watched all the clips that many of you have already watched. I've watched as many clips as I'm capable of watching of him, not knowing a ton about the competition level, knowing that these are only clips and not full games, trying to compare him to Elias Harris. I don't know. I don't know. I I see why that would be the name that would pop up. Like, I get that. I'm just not sure. He's also 21. We were seeing clips of him when he was 19. Like there's just so much uncertainty about who Yo is right now, where Mark Few sees him fitting in, all of that. It's so difficult to answer this question. Could he be as good as the third or fourth best player? Probably. Could he be a guy who's the eighth or ninth man in the rotation and doesn't really play until his second season, full season in Spokane? Totally. Both of those are very realistic scenarios right now. And until we get closer to the season, see him at craziness in the kennel, hear some quotes from Mark Few. I think it's going to be pretty tough for us to to determine what kind of role he's going to have next season. Final question here in the second segment is another one from at Twitter user Goldbloom M. He says, can Gonzaga have a top 25 defense next year? Here's the thing. Gonzaga's defense was 73rd last year, according to Ken Palm. I don't think they've gotten better. And you may disagree with me, but I haven't seen any additions that have demonstrably made this team better defensively. And until we know what's happening with Anton Watson or Malachi Smith, for that matter, it's a really precarious position. Graham E.K. is not a good defensive player. He comes to this team with high-level scoring around the rim, with very good rebounding instincts, with good physicality, with the potential to be a bit more of an outside shooter, although he's been very inconsistent at that throughout his career. But he does not have a lot of, there's not a lot of optimism that he will be a great defensive player for this program. You lose Drew Timmy, you add Graham E.K. Offensively, you get a little bit worse because it's impossible to replicate Drew Timmy. Defensively, I don't think it changes all that much. 
Seal Venters is not a great defensive player. He'll be fine. He'll use his size well. If he's playing the three, he's probably going to be a bit oversized for a three in the WCC. Hopefully that helps him, but he's not a great defensive player. Ryan Nemhard's not a great defensive player either. This team just didn't add a lot of players who I think significantly impact the game on that end of the floor. If they don't get both Anton Watson and Malachi Smith back, that hurts as well. Anton Watson's the best defensive player on this team. If he doesn't come back, that is a devastating blow to this team defensively. Malachi Smith was a little bit more inconsistent, but he's a big physical guard, and I think you, without him, you miss that. If Malachi Smith doesn't come back, I do expect Gonzaga to make an addition, whether it's a guard or a, or a wing, whatever it may be. I think they'll, they'll use one of those final roster spots, and hopefully they find somebody who's a bit more defensive-minded because Rasir Bolton was a solid defensive player, and you lose him. To me, I think Gonzaga is more likely to be closer to 100 in the country defensively than in the top 25. I would love to be wrong. I would really, really love to be wrong. But the pieces they have added so far this offseason don't give me a ton of optimism that we're looking at a team that is going to be better on that end of the floor uh, next season. Well, let's talk a little Gonzaga baseball and a little Gonzaga football. What? All of that coming up in the third and final segment. Before we get there, though, today's episode of Locked on Zags is brought to you by FanDuel. Grand slams, no hitters, and double plays are back, and there is no better place to get in on the MLB action than FanDuel, America's number one sports book. That's because right now new customers can step up to the plate with a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. Just go to FanDuel.com slash locked on, sign up, place your first bet, and get up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if you do not win. Maybe you Zag fans want to bet on Marco Gonzalez to get a win for the Mariners or perhaps Eli Morgan to snag a save for the Cleveland Guardians. Either way, don't miss your chance to get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 when you join FanDuel today. Just go to FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up. FanDuel, an official partner of Major League Baseball. All right, segment three, still on your patents, still locked on Zags, still going through Mailbag Monday. Always good to have this back again. We'll bring it back periodically throughout the next couple of months as we get into the off season. So keep an eye out for those tweets on Sunday mornings if you want to get your questions answered in the show. This next one here comes from Aaron via Gmail. Aaron says, is Gonzaga starting a football team to make itself even more attractive to the Big 12 a possibility? That would be a long-term plan, having to lay the foundation as well as build a stadium. Teams like Kansas, Colorado, and Rutgers have survived, and Boise State has shown regional success from a smaller school. Aaron also sent a link to an article written at the Gonzaga Bulletin about this very topic. In that article was a quote from Gonzaga Athletic Director Chris Standiford. I'm going to read that quote right here. He says, quote, If we were to align with a different conference, it would be about that conference welcoming us, not about us changing to be like them. We are who we are. And I think that that kind of sums it up. Gonzaga doesn't want to get involved in conference realignment in a way that changes their identity. Part of who they are right now as an athletic department is an elite basketball program without a football team. Does that mean they will never have football? I will I will never, ever, ever say on this show that Gonzaga is never going to add a football team. I will never say it because I think 75 years from now, Gonzaga probably is going to have a football team. Whether that team will have started five years from now, 25 years from now, I don't know. 
but I have a hard time imagining that Gonzaga never, ever has a football team again. But to answer the specific question of Gonzaga starting a football team to be more appealing to the Big 12, not a chance. And that is that is not going to be something that happens prior to any kind of induction into the Big 12 conference. I still maintain that Gonzaga to the Big 12 is going to happen. I don't know how soon. I think that a lot of the conversation about this happening imminently has, has I mean, it's been talked about something that's going to happen imminently for over a year now. So clearly it's not imminent or it wasn't imminent at the time. But I don't think that a football team is going to have any kind of hinge on that. Could Gonzaga get into the Big 12, eventually decide they want to start a football team? Yeah, I think that is possible. But they're not looking at conference realignment right now through the lens of eventually having a football team. It's not a factor. The Big 12, maybe some of the 80s are saying, well, maybe we should only accept Gonzaga if they do this. But that's then in that case, then it's just not going to happen. Then the, the movement wouldn't be something that happens. I do think that the fact that the Big 12 is pursuing UConn is an interesting wrinkle because UConn and Gonzaga are fairly similar from a basketball perspective. Although, of course, Brett Yormark, the Big 12 commissioner, has, has put a big emphasis on wanting to move west, which would not be the case with UConn, but UConn's close geographically to New York, which is hard to pass up. But part of the appeal of UConn is that they do have a football team. Not a good one. A growing team, a team that is getting better, but a team that by and large hasn't been all that good. So I do think that the Big 12 football matters. It's impossible to pretend that it doesn't. Brett Yormark's not pretending that it doesn't matter. But I don't think that Gonzaga is in the position where they're going to do something that drastic in order to get realignment. If it, if the Big 12 says, hey, we're not taking you because you don't have football, they'll just keep going, keep doing what they're doing. Maybe they'll look at the Big East. Maybe they'll see if the Pac-12 will take them because they're desperate. Like they'll, they'll change their tune a little bit. But I don't think it's going to be a driving factor in that way. But I also don't think that football is an impossible thing to happen at Gonzaga. Next question here comes from Jeff via Gmail. Jeff says, are you ready to see the 2023 Gonzaga baseball season come to an end and go into the rearview mirror? It's been a long time since Gonzaga baseball had anything like the eight game losing streak they are on now. Yet here we are. It's been heart breathtaking how much Gonzaga baseball has struggled with pitching this year, especially in the bullpen. Yeah, it's been a rough year. In terms of, am I excited about it? No, I never really liked the end of the Gonzaga athletic school year, even if it hasn't been all that fun with how the baseball season has gone. But yeah, it's been a rough one. The Gonzaga baseball team is not as impervious to constant success the way the basketball program is. Sometimes you're going to have bad years. And for this team, they lost so much talent from last year's roster. You lose the three starting pitchers. Gabriel Hughes goes in the first round. Tristan Vreeling goes third round. I believe it was William Kempner also third round. Brody Jesse was a big loss for them as well. Didn't get as much attention as the three starters, but Jesse was one of their best relievers last year. So for him to be out the door, you lose those three starters. You have to bring some of your starters into the starting rotation like they did with Owen Wilde, like they did with Jacob Rutherford. Suddenly your bullpen doesn't have three or four guys that they had last year and you make some additions, you get some Juco guys, you get some freshmen coming in and some guys you expect to step into bigger roles. And it just didn't quite happen the way that they wanted it to. And it was frustrating to watch at times. I, I spoke about this game recently on the show, but it was a game where they were playing the university of Portland and they left their starter in Jacob Rutherford in that game for like 130 pitches. And he ultimately ended up giving up a game winning run. And part of that game was on the offense, not scoring enough runs, but it's tough when you don't have a valid bullpen. You don't feel like you have guys you can really trust in that situation because then you do end up burning your starters and leaving them out there for a long time. So I think the staff 
had more difficult decisions to make because they just didn't have as many options waiting for them. And it ultimately ended up costing them a, a lot more games this season than we were expecting. However, this coaching staff has bounced back before. I expect 2024 to be a very good year for the baseball team. Hopefully they can close the page on this one and move on and, and get the right pieces in next year to, to make a return back uh, to the top of the WCC standings. Final question of the show. This one also comes from Jeff via Gmail. Jeff says, recently during your Locked On shows, you've been wearing what appears to be a Locked On t-shirt. Is there any way such things can be purchased? Does Locked On have an online store or anything like that? Shout out the everyday listeners who are not just on audio format, but those of you on YouTube as well. Some of you are probably noticing I got a new camera set up and you are correct. Things look a little bit different here on the YouTube portion of the show. If you have not checked this out on YouTube, go do so right now and hit that subscribe button. We're very close to 1,700 subscribers, which is just a huge number. I appreciate all of you so much who have who have made that decision to hit that subscribe button on YouTube. Jeff, in terms of answering your question, unfortunately, that is not something that exists right now. Those are shirts given out to the hosts. I do believe that a merchandising situation is going to develop for Locked On at some point. Whether that will have individual team gear or not, I don't know. I would love to be able to sell you guys locked on shirts, locked on hats, locked on stickers, locked on mouse pads. Do people use mouse pads anymore? People don't use mouse pads anymore. I don't have a mouse pad. I don't know why you guys would want a mouse pad. But if you do, maybe we can get that going for you someday. Uh, I got some giveaway stuff planned with some gear that I have. So hopefully we can get some kind of locked on stuff out there, hoping to get some stickers made and maybe pass those out or send those out in the mail at some point. But in terms of short shirts, it's not something that exists yet, but I suspect it will soon. All right, that is going to do it for me today. Plenty more fantastic stuff coming your way this week on Locked on Zags. We got interviews lined up. We got more conversation about the transfer portal. We got good conversation about Malachi Smith and his upcoming decision. All in the queue for you on Locked on Zags. Also check out Locked on College Basketball. If you have not done so yet, go hit that subscribe button. We're almost to 1,700 on Zags, but we're almost to 1,000 on Locked on College Basketball. And that's a really big milestone. So if you haven't yet, please go hit that subscribe button over there. It is very much appreciated. All right. Thank you all for listening. And as always, go Zags.